Hey everybody, just want to let you know that this episode of Inside Transportation is sponsored by our friends at the Ford Motor Company. Built on the belief that freedom of movement drives human progress from connectivity to autonomy, Ford has one simple goal, and that's to improve the mobility of its customers. Ford has been using technology to shape the future of transportation for over 100 years and is dedicated to solving the world's most pressing mobility issues. What you might not know is that Ford has a series of divisions that make these visions a reality. Ford X is Ford's venture incubator that unites entrepreneurs, designers, and engineers to shape the future of transportation. Ford's City Innovations team brings innovative ideas to life through community workshops, crowdsourcing initiatives, and citywide mobility challenges. And Spin, a property of Ford, brings e-scooter sharing to cities and college campuses. So here's your call to action. To learn more about Ford's work in mobility, autonomous vehicles, and their global efforts to improve mobility for its customers, visit corporate.ford.com. That's corporate.ford.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Inside Transportation podcast or production of Insight.com. This is our weekly podcast where we discuss transportation trends that you need to know about to stay ahead of the curve. My name is Johan Marino, and unfortunately, my co-host Jason Calcanis is out today, but not to worry. We have a very special guest, Ben Baer, who is the Chief Business Officer at SPIN, the micromobility unit of Ford Motor Company, which also happens to be a proud partner of this podcast. Ben is responsible for overseeing market expansion, public policy, business development, and public affairs at SPIN. His team develops policy for dockless mobility programs, forges partnerships with cities and campuses, and expands into new markets. Before his time at SPIN, Ben was actually the CEO and founder of Work Genius, which was a 500 startups-backed company that matched workers in the sharing economy with job opportunities. Ben is from Pittsburgh and a graduate of Northwestern University. Ben, Thank you for joining us today on Inside Transportation. How's it hanging? Uh, great to be here, Johan. And I think you're better at talking about me than I am. So that was a, a really nice introduction. <laughs> it's okay. That, that was sent over uh, beforehand. I wish I, I wrote that. But um, so look, the, the shared mobility space is super interesting right now. Over the past few years, we've kind of seen the fruition of it across the United States and globally. Um, but my first question to you here is, how sustainable are shared scooters? I mean, we kind of saw this drop off when the pandemic started. Then we saw people starting to ride scooters again once we kind of figured out um, that they were relatively safe, right, to to ride during the pandemic. But, you know, my first question to you is, how sustainable is this market? What kind of um, future do you see in it in the next 10 years, what's going to be the evolution? Any, any thoughts there? Yeah, I think the, you know, the question from both a city and a consumer perspective at this point is not will shared micromobility be a big part of the future? It's what will it look like? And what will the relationships between cities and operators need to consist of in order to make this something that equitably serves riders all across cities, all different types of riders, um, but also is sustainable for the operators? And then overlaying all of that, you have the question of the sustainability um, of the form of transportation for the environment, because you know, obviously climate is the thing we're going to be talking about for the next 50 years. And we actually just right, made a pledge to 
be carbon negative uh, by 2025, which means that you know, we're actually taking more carbon out of the environment than we're putting in. Um, and we're actually going to be carbon neutral uh, in several cities this year. And you know, things like Ford releasing the electric transit really help. Um, but there's all sorts of efforts up and down the supply chain and operational uh, stack that we need to get to the next level in order to achieve that. Right. So let's talk about the forms of mobility you guys have available right now. So you guys have this electrified, would you say it's a kick scooter? What, what, what do you describe that uh, scooter that you guys have right now out in, in most cities um, across the U.S.? Yeah, so it's exactly that. It's that Razor scooter that you had as a kid, um, but it's electrified. It's ruggedized. It's made by Segway 9Bot, um, and it goes about 15 miles an hour. Uh, for up to a 40-mile right. range at this point. And that's our primary vehicle. Right. So when we look at the evolution of this, though, do you see that vehicle still being the, the primary mode of transportation for spin in like 10 years? Or do you see that evolving into maybe another type of vehicle, maybe something that's a little bit more, um, I don't know, accessible, something that, you know, because if we think about, this, you know, kick scooter, it's not, you know, the most accessible thing for everyone. Some people might not feel comfortable just kind of on that motorized Razor scooter. So how are you guys thinking about evolving from that, um, you know, scooter into maybe some other modes of, of transportation or other vehicle forms? Yeah, the, the short answer is we don't know exactly what will be the most popular. I think the longer answer is is a bit more nuanced. And there's a few components of it. The first is, we definitely see different vehicles being better for both different users and different use cases. So, you know, the electric kick scooter, not great if you had cargo, really great for that last mile, mile and a half. We think e-bikes are good for slightly longer trips. Um, but, you know, if you went back in time to 2017 when we first launched BikeShare, we had no idea um, that we were going to be an electric kick scooter company and have tens of thousands of scooters all over the world. The bikes weren't electric and they certainly weren't scooters at that point in time. I think one, right. you know, two things we're going to be testing this year. So one is adding e-bikes back into the fold um, because we really do believe in that multimodal approach for the reason I mentioned, the reasons I mentioned earlier. Uh, and then two, we recently announced, and this was actually just yesterday, so it's hot off the presses, a three-way partnership between Tortoise um, which is like a company that does low-speed tele-autonomy for delivery robots and micromobility, Segway 9Bot and ourselves. And that relationship with Tortoise is actually exclusive uh, for 18 months. And so we're going to be rolling out three-wheeled scooters with integrated front and back-facing cameras that include, along with a, a bunch of other sensors, the ability to be remotely controlled. Uh, by someone back, you know, it could be in that city, it could be hundreds of miles away because the latency is so low and the connectivity is so fast. We'll be able to do things through what we're calling spin ballet, like reparking improperly parked scooters um, and actually eventually having the scooter come to the customer or if they want it to be out in front of their you know, school bus or their house every morning at 8 a.m., we can deliver on that. And that's a big element, that reliability uh, that's been missing from shared scooters when you compare it to a, a personal uh, vehicle that you might own. Yeah, that's very cool. And, you know, obviously you guys right now are in this, you know, 
pricing model where you pay per ride or do you guys have anything available that's, you know, a subscription based where if somebody wanted to subscribe to one of those vehicles, um, do you guys have anything in the works like that? Or, you know, do you guys have that already available? Yeah. So we've done a bunch of experimenting with subscriptions for days um, and hour passes for general riders. In addition, we've offered subsidized and in some cases free monthly rentals to essential workers um, and other folks right. who, apply, who, who qualify for equity programs uh, in some cities. What we haven't rolled out yet, and what I suspect you'll probably see us experiment with in 2021, um, is a you know sort of simple monthly all-you-can-eat pass for consumers. Right. And that becomes a lot yeah. more valuable once you can deliver on reliability. And we know that you know the vehicle is going to be where they need it when they need it. Because let's face it, we're competing mm-hmm. with a car where you know, 99 times out of 100, um, you know, if it's a Ford uh, or, or another great vehicle, you go out in your driveway uh, <laughs> and turn the key and it's going to work. And it's going to get to where you need to go. Yeah. And then you kind of think about like, if you're, if you're talking about this three wheeled scooter, right, I'm assuming it has a little more cargo space where you'd be able to use these vehicles for services like delivery. Have you guys explored partnering with delivery services and letting them know like, Hey, you know, your, your workers can use these vehicles to do very sustainable deliveries um, within a certain radius, right? Have you guys experimented using spin vehicles for delivery or other types of use cases beyond just, you know, commuting? Yeah, so I'd say we've observed kick scooters being used for delivery um, out in the wild, which has surprised us a little bit because you don't have any cargo, like you mentioned. And so generally what folks are doing is using backpacks. Um, We've talked to the major delivery companies and they're not super interested in kick scooters without cargo as sort of a primary vehicle that they recommend. And so based on that feedback, we also piloted e-bikes in Washington, D.C. Um, and there's definitely you know, huge values we're seeing all over the world in using e-bikes to deliver in dense urban cores. Um, but I don't think that we've quite nailed what our unique offering is uh, in that market. I do think the three-wheel device with cargo added uh, could be a really interesting opportunity there, especially when you add on sort of light teleoperations. And I'm not sure, I haven't thought enough about how all of that would fit together, um, but the teleops uh, team members that uh, work with Tortoise are also uh, remote piloting uh, delivery vehicles, you know, similar to Starship or uh, Tortoise actually has their own vehicle. Um, so it's very similar uh, from a sort of flow and use case perspective uh, to those autonomous vehicles. and. And then the vehicle itself could right. be useful for delivery workers if we add cargo as well. So it's it's a line we need to think down a lot more, I would say. So when when you're talking about this technology that's going to be integrated with um, you know your partners. Is Spin doing any development of autonomous systems internally? Are you guys just working with partners? Are you guys working with Argo at all? You know, a part of the the Ford family. Yeah, so we collaborate closely with Argo on you know, sort of policy questions, and you know, there's an interchange of ideas uh, on things like data sharing and regulations that um, you know, in a lot of ways, micromobility is the tip of the spear for AV, and we're experiencing a lot of these issues out in the field. First, um, at present, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're taking a pretty lightweight approach. So it's an exclusive partnership, um, and we're really going deep in terms of understanding this with Segway and Tortoise. But 
Um, there's going to be you know, lots of stuff that I, I can't talk about yet that we're going to be diving into uh, if this works well. Um, because obviously, yeah. you know, being first with it, you can see in the AV car world, um, if you're first, you better invest and run like heck to stay in that pole position. Um, if right, right. Yeah. So, so how many markets um, is Spin operating in right now? Yeah, so right now we're in over 75 uh, cities and campuses across the U.S., the U.K., and Spain and Germany. Wow. That's, that's crazy. How fast are you guys expanding? And when you guys, you know, consider moving into a new market, what do you guys think about? Like, what, what are some attributes that you look for when you're launching in a new market? Um, and how has COVID kind of slowed that down or changed that? Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first off, in terms of how we look at new markets, we've been at this for a while. Um, and you know, we're really at a point now where we can predict based on comparables as well as characteristics like walk score, bike score, uh, spending power, density, how good a market is likely to be um, from sort of a direct margin perspective for spin. Um, so we've gotten pretty good at that. That's really sort of a core muscle for us um, as, we, as we scale quickly so that we don't make mistakes. Uh, in terms of how COVID has affected us, um, I think, you know, at the beginning, like everybody else, you know, we we're just trying to get our bearings and figure out what was happening. But one decision that we made at the time was to really not shut down um, many markets at all. We kept open uh, in many of our markets and offered services to essential workers um, and to the general population where we could, uh, even though ridership for, you know, that first month or so fell off a cliff, like 90% or so. Um, right, we just wanted right. to stay open because, you know, if we're talking about how we want to be part of the transportation fabric in these cities for the long term, then we better be there when the, the rubber hits the road and it, it matters most. Um, and so, you know, we have the financial flexibility to be a bit more patient there. I think it you know, really ingrained us even more in these communities. Uh, and then since then, you know, trip length has recovered uh, back to uh, trip length is actually up about 30%. Trips are still down a bit year over year, um, mm -hmm. but we're basically back where we were before and, and super bullish about uh, the growth to come uh, post COVID and, and going into uh, the rest of 2021 and 2022. Right. So, What's the cost advantage to using a micromobility vehicle versus, let's say, an UberX or, or a Lyft? Um, because I, I know that the, you know, you, you spin rides, like what's the average cost? What do you compare that to the average, you know, ride hail? Do you have any, any you know, data or metrics there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so last time I checked, I think we were in the 2 to $3 for sort of average trip cost range. Um, and, you know, I'd say that the way that we've seen consumers think about it, just from sort of a consumer insights perspective, is a lot of people prefer taking uh, micromobility vehicles because they're sort of more in control. And you can imagine, you know, during COVID, right. where people don't want to yeah. be in a car with a driver, it's much more appealing. Um, and as long as the cost is sort of below what they would have to pay or in the range of what they'd have to pay otherwise, for a, a rideshare trip or their alternate alternative mode, um, then I think people are comfortable with that price. Now, there's some folks who can't play, who, who simply can't afford to pay. Uh, and for them, we have our spin access programs to offer uh, discounted, in some cases, free trips 
uh, and subscriptions. You know. Yeah, let me ask you a little bit more about that. What is Spin doing to make shared mobility more accessible for disabled and low-income riders? Yeah, so starting first with disabled riders, I think you have to think about really two groups of people. One is disabled riders. Um, the other is disabled folks who are pedestrians um, and who might encounter uh, scooters on the sidewalk or you know, in front of their apartments when they come out. On the rider side, we're experimenting with new types of vehicles. Um, so I already mentioned earlier uh, the three-wheel device that we're rolling out, um, as well as uh, e-bike pilots. But we also have tested out sort of um, disability-focused offerings, including a scooter with a seat, mm. um, and actually a vehicle in New York that we're proposing um, where you can attach uh, a wheelchair to a scooter. Um, actually get around. Oh, wow. And that's that's incredible. We, we don't know how that'll work or you know, how the logistics will work. It's it's a library system, right? You're not going to have uh, 10,000 of these things floating around throughout the city. Um, but we're really trying to figure that out and, and find a unique approach. On the pedestrian side, um, you know, the ability to remotely repark scooters is just a game changer. So um, most cities have a, a flow in place where you know, requests can come in for a misparked scooter that's blocking a disability lane or an access point, and the operator has to get out there within two hours. In SF, we're actually first, so our average uh, time to respond to those is about 52 minutes. But with the Tortoise-enabled uh, S200 scooter, we could do this in seconds or minutes, um, which can that's that's incredible from um, order of magnitude yeah. perspective. Right. So one thing I was going to ask is there are some markets that have been very hesitant about having any shared mobility. So one of them that comes to mind is Las Vegas, right? Um, I'm sure you've spoken to someone in Las Vegas. This isn't you know specifically referencing to that city, but what are some existing reservations that cities still have in implementing shared scooter or micromobility pilot programs? Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I'd say the conversation has really changed. So um, you know, in most of the cities where we're unable to offer services today, um, like Boston would be an example, Honolulu would be another, we're actually blocked at the state level. So the vehicles oh, just aren't legalized yet. Um, you know, they're not street legal um, or the city's not moving, comfortable moving forward because it's a, a gray area. And so I think in 2021, you'll see uh, a lot of those sort of state definitional issues get resolved. On the city level, cities are really good at learning from each other. And we've been doing dockless uh, mobility as a community all the way back uh, since you know, 2016, 2017. Seattle launched the first stationless permit uh, in, uh, for bike share. Um, and our, our head of gov partnerships actually came uh, from administrating that program. Um, and so cities have learned from each other. I think for most of them, it's not a question of whether they should have scooters or not. It's just a question of what's the best way to set it up. And the trends that you're seeing are cities moving away from these sort of free-for-alls that you might see in Austin or Los Angeles, where there's lots and lots of scooters out there and nobody has a, a meaningful enough share to be reliable to consumers or to have a sustainable business. And so what you're seeing instead is cities limiting the number of vendors, really trying to work with the operators that... Uh, are the best partners and that they think can help us uh, meet the city's goals. And that's an interesting dynamic. Cities are really in control of 
you know, who gets to, to compete and play in a particular market and what the structure of that market looks like. And it's just a completely different dynamic than you saw in the rideshare days, for example. And it's something that cities are going to try and maintain going into the world of EVs. Right, yeah. One thing I was going to ask you, um, this is a million-dollar question on this podcast uh, because we wonder about this a lot, but where do you think micromobility vehicles like scooters belong on the road? In the bike lane, on the street, on the sidewalk? What, what, what's your take there? Yeah, so we're big proponents of uh, bike lanes and in particular protected bike lanes. Um, so we have a streets team that is made up of advocates and transportation planners internally They'll actually work with cities and local advocates to come up with new concepts for low-cost, effective, scalable, protected bike lanes. Um, as an example, we had a competition last year um, called the Better Barrier Competition. And I think there were like 15 different submissions. And the winning team actually found a way to create a protected lane out of recycled car tires, which we thought was just the coolest wow. thing ever. Um, and so then we figure out how to deploy that. And I think... You know, cities want to do this, right? Without us existing, they would they would want to do it. Um, but you know, what you're seeing is cities during the pandemic using the the crisis as an opportunity, so to speak, to to take these actions that they wanted to take before in terms of creating slow streets, um, more pop up and uh, permanent bike infrastructure, um, and then in places like Barcelona, super blocks which increase pedestrian density. And you know, we all love cities that. Uh, include walkability and restaurants and bars and have that atmosphere. And the data so far actually shows that when you do shut down uh, streets to cars, that commerce picks up at local businesses nearby, um, which is... Oh, absolutely. And I guess the one, if we had to pick one good thing that came out of COVID is that a lot of streets in the United States, especially in urban areas, more popular, um, you know, districts, they've shut down traffic for vehicles and have repurposed that space for outdoor dining um, and other uses. So I'm sure that's very promising, right? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, this is what we all want uh, the cities that, you know, we love and, and you know, many people will hopefully come back to, uh, to look like in the future. And we're really bought into this concept of 15-minute cities that's gained popularity and among cities and, and urban planners over the last few years, because uh, we really think that that's a, a better world that we want to live in. And, and we think micromobility is a, an important component of that, because you certainly don't need you know, a multi-ton car to go half a mile or a mile for one person. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned Los Angeles and Austin. Both of those cities are very you know, car culture just runs deep in those cities' histories, right? Um, there have been some other companies that have pulled out of those markets because they just decided, hey, you know, we, we can't run our operations here. It just doesn't make any sense financially. How can micromobility and car culture coexist? What are you guys doing to kind of get people out of their cars and, you know, to, to consider services like, like spin scooters or maybe this upcoming vehicle that's coming out? Um, and obviously, you know, it, it's also like spin is a unit of Ford, right? <laughs> so, um, w w what are you guys doing to kind of make sure both, you know, car culture cities and micromobility can, you know, coincide with one another? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that, you know, this is essential because there's definitely a place for both in, in the city of the future. 
Um, if you look at the average selling price of cars over the last year, this was just released, it's around $40,000. And so, right. you know, the reality is that's just not accessible to a, a huge swath of the population. And in denser areas on campuses and in urban environments, it's not as reliable. Um, and so you have all these different trip types. If we can take away uh, some of the trips under five miles that you, know, you don't need a car to do, then I think we'll make a lot of progress, especially with a concurrent big push into EVs, um, which we're seeing. Culturally, I think is a different question and a really important one. You know, I'm always sort of surprised when I go back home to Pittsburgh and talk to my parents and, and my uncles and other folks in the community who you know, might not bike much. The only perspective they have um, on bikers is this group of people that you know, they think of them as sort of hipsters wearing short built caps that you know, cut in front of their car and block them off yeah. and uh, inconvenience them. Um, we need to get more people into the bike lane um, so that they feel, uh, you know, empathy for what uh, people on bikes and scooters go through. Because it is life or death um, if you, you know, are on a bike or scooter uh, in, a, in a major city at this point. Absolutely. And I think the other good thing that's probably going to come out of COVID is that we're going to see a lot of people who picked up biking or picked up, you know, riding scooters um, during the quarantine. They're going to have a little more empathy to people on the road, right? That, that That's just what I've seen because I know e-bike sales have gone through the roof, uh, personal e-bike sales, right? So let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> let's hope uh, we can we can figure this out. Yeah, I think I think that we can. And you know, everybody wants it. Um, and I think, you know, with the new administration uh, coming in, there's a huge focus on infrastructure and there's a huge focus on, you know, infrastructure, not just in terms of interstate highways. Um, and, you know, Mayor Pete, I guess now Secretary Pete, um, has seen that firsthand as a mayor. Um, you know, he was one of the first mayors to bring dockless mobility uh, into South Bend uh, and work on a number wow. of uh, safe streets initiatives. So I think you know, it really is a new day from that perspective. And if we can take the groundswell of energy and progress uh, and good examples and best practices that you know, already have been borne out by this pandemic, that cities and activists have been thinking about for year, years and, and shine the spotlight on them and, and find a way to scale them through smart grant funding, um, we could really make a, a lot of progress very quickly. Incredible. Well, that was Ben Baer. He's the chief business officer for SPIN, uh, which is a unit of Ford, who is also a proud partner of this podcast. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you can join us again uh, sometime in the future. Thanks so much, Johan. Maybe we'll come back and tell you how the, uh, the remote-operated scooter pilot goes in Boise. Yes, please please uh, let us know. I love Boise. And uh, shout out to Sonny Madra, who uh, is also a regular guest on this podcast. Um, I know he, he uh, plays a role with all of the innovation at Ford. Um, so thanks, everyone, for listening today. Hope you tune in next week. And that was the Inside Transportation Podcast. Take care, everyone.